This is the time of year where your favorite pundits are weighing in with their predictions for the year ahead. And no, I won't be joining them with my predictions, except for one. It's a safe one. I predict that you'll be making a number of important investment decisions next year, and they'll involve both your time and your money. And while I can't predict how you'll do, I can assure you that today's conversation will give you some tools and perspectives that may help you make better decisions in the year ahead. This is the Retirement Wisdom Podcast, and I'm your host, Joe Casey. And we're joined today by returning guest and friend of the podcast, Glenn Frank. Professor Glenn Frank was the founding director of Bentley University's Master's in Financial Planning Program, where he taught capstone portfolio construction courses. Glenn's been a member of investment committees for over 30 years and continues to teach investment courses. He is the director of education at fee-only Lexington Wealth Management in Lexington, Massachusetts. You'll find more information in Glenn's bio in the show notes, as well as links to some of those investment workshops that he teaches and other resources you may be interested in. So let's get started. Glenn, thanks for joining us again. Great to see you. Thank you. I'm uh, delighted to be here and honored to be here. So as people think about next year, many want to invest their time a little differently. How should we think about time management versus choice management? If you want to be happier, you have to make better day-to-day decisions. It is that simple. You need to develop a few new habits. Joe, before I answer your perfectly on-point question, I'm hoping the audience can indulge me for a couple of minutes here. Let's get into a very nice frame of mind with my smiling starfish. This can be a new your choice habit. So please get in an open stance. Legs and arms are outstretched like a starfish. Take a couple of deep breaths, close your eyes, and most importantly, smile. For Amy Cuddy, if you hold this open stance for a few minutes, your cortisol, aka stress levels, go down by something like 30%. This is terrific HPH, happiness per hour, as it only takes a couple of minutes, and terrific HPD, happiness per dollar, as there's no cost. I start most days with the starfish. My long-suffering wife starts her day rolling her eyes at me. So, Joe, you've been doing a starfish? Or maybe you have a different ritual? No, I, I do several things, including that since we, we spoke. Uh, my wife rolls her eyes at me regardless uh, <laughs> of what I do. But I think it's important to reset and have a practice that you can rely upon. I tend to use a lot of things that I learned um, from B.J. Fogg, who wrote the book Tiny Habits and, and has a, a habit he calls the, the Malibu habit, which is really as your feet hit the floor, you really just articulate this is going to be a great day. And that's something that's very simple, but has amazing benefits. But I think the physical benefits you're talking about with starfish are very powerful. Thank you. I'll, I'll check those uh, resources out. Always want to learn something new here. Yes, choice management is far more personally impactful term and time management, especially for retirees. The term itself reminds us that so many things really are our choice. Choice management is all about strategically and intentionally being happier by making better day-to-day decisions. When I think of time management, I think about being more efficient with the limited minutes and hours we have each day. Maybe it's more of a business concept to be more profitable, perhaps. Choice management is much more personal. 
It's not profit-oriented. It's happiness-oriented. Time management may be more of a necessity during your career, as we often have a, I just got to get through the day mindset. Remember, as Joe so often points out, time may be our most precious commodity. So when many people retire, they discover that they're suddenly time rich, but then they quickly find themselves spending their time, at least a good chunk of it, doing things that they really don't love, matter of fact, often dislike. And that takes them away from things that they like to do and love to do, the whole reason for retirement in the first place. When did a wise move to outsource some of those things, even though people now have ample time to do them themselves? Yes, Joe. It's kind of ironic and even a bit cruel. First, we have the crazy working years, maybe with time-consuming children, and no me time. Then too much unplanned time as retired empty nesters. It's funny, you may wish the career you could be given time from the future retired you. You both might be happier. To Joe's point, studies show retirees spend a lot more time watching TV, for example, while enjoying it a lot less. Effective choice management starts with self-awareness. What do you actually love to do? Your body will throw off positive and negative neurochemicals to tell you. A walk in the woods is very peaceful. A watching the news at 11 p.m. may induce cortisol, a stress hormone, and so much for a good night's sleep. Grandkids you may watch. They can be joyous, affectionate. They can provide purpose. Then again, maybe not. Golf. You may say you love to play, but if you miss that three-foot putt on 18 and toss your clubs in the lake, maybe not. Many people find a sense of flow immersed in music or art. Remember that social circles are a huge part of happiness. Pickleball works for me. What is the best way to combat being time rich? For true, deep down, purposeful happiness, I think the answer is helping others somehow, some way. This, of course, is your choice. There are so many, many ways to help others. And that can very easily fill up the day. And when your head hits the pillow at night, gee, I accomplished something important today. Keep the body and mind running, of course, is key. Exercise, as we know, is much more easier to do if you're having fun. Also, they say you are old once you stop learning. Challenge yourself, as Joe often stresses. Here's a big question. Are the yeses on your calendar yours or somebody else's? Again, choice management. I love this quote from, from Carol Burnett, I believe. No is a complete sentence. Remember, if you don't schedule your time, someone else will. As far as the outsourcing question goes, terrific. Great, great question, Joe. Obviously, if you don't enjoy whatever you're doing, don't do it. If you love to cook, great. If not, order out. Food service. If you love to fix stuff, great. If not, hire a pro. Here's something that may help you prioritize. I think we talked about in the last episode, Joe. There's this guy by the name of Rory Baden. He has this thing called the focus funnel. Rory says, take your to-do list and focus. At the top of the funnel, is there any way you can eliminate items? If you can't eliminate, can you delegate to others? Is it something that you could automate to save time later, like automatic bill payment? And finally, intentional procrastination. Maybe later it won't be important and you can either eliminate it or delegate it. I think the best way to spend money is to buy time. 
Buy the car that will minimize trips to the mechanic. Buy perishables in bulk so there's fewer trips to the store. Buy quality things that last. Unless you really enjoy doing this stuff, hire someone to mow your grass, to clean your house, to shovel your snow. My last message on time comes from Simon and Garfunkel. Slow down, you move too fast. Got to make the morning last. What's my point, other than being off-key? Don't overschedule. Leave some time to take a nap or feel groovy. And there's a reason why only guests are allowed to sing on this podcast. (laughs) You'll have to take my word for that. But thanks for all of that. And let's talk about the money part now. When you look at the money part of the equation, as people plan for the year ahead, what would a good financial review checklist look like? Uh, Another perfect question for December here. The checklist probably starts with what could go wrong. Do you have adequate liquidity to cover your plan needs as well as the inevitable surprises? Obviously, some sort of budget is helpful. Have you done proper planning to minimize taxes? Once you're retired, you probably need quarterly estimates. Note you may have several years of low tax rates after you retire, yet before you have to start taking retirement account distributions, you know, RMDs. Seize the opportunity, this tax hiatus for several years. Maybe you want to accelerate retirement distributions to lower brackets. Maybe you want to do a Roth conversion. If you're on the cusp of retirement, options planning can get a little tricky here because your time deadlines may change. I advise you to try and take a practical approach in general with options, company stock, or other concentrated positions. From my experience, it is the rare executive who truly knows where the company stock price is going. You may want to at least take enough off the table to cover your lifestyle. My mantra for insurance, assume the risk you can and insure the ones you can't. For example, high deductibles may be wise. Do you still need life insurance if your W-2 disappears and the kids are on their own? Perhaps long-term care insurance makes sense. Perhaps. Maybe you can self-insure you have adequate savings. Your portfolio. So I have an article in the street in October of 2023. And the title of the article was How to Build a Portfolio to Last a Lifetime. Is your portfolio structured to last as long as you do? I've taught a five-step process since the mid-90s. The process is hopefully a very thoughtful, logical way to increase your odds that you don't run out. I'll very quickly go over the, the five steps. The first step is asset needs. What net of inflation and net of tax return do you actually need? Do you know your work optional accumulation amount? Your risk tolerance? Your level of patience? Are you honest with yourself? Step number two is what combination of asset classes, cash, attractive today, bonds, equities, large, small, growth, value, use, international, alternatives, which combination are most likely to produce those returns? If you want some free lunch, you need to understand correlations and modern portfolio theory, MPT. If you want some free dinner, you should pay attention to valuations. The third step, how do you actually capture those asset classes? Individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, limited partnerships. Maybe use ETFs as your first choice. Step four, asset location. Where you can hold those funds. Should you hold them in taxable accounts, step up in basis later for your heirs? I don't know. Retirement accounts, 
all ordinary income, Ross, never taxed. This is a very tax-driven decision. It is what you keep that matters and gives you the highest odds of accomplishing goals. The fifth and final step, this is all very circular. Asset rebalance. When to make changes to your portfolio is usually when something in the first four steps change. I also noticed that you wrote about something that we often fail to connect with finances, and that's emotions. How can emotions get in the way of prudent investment decisions? And what can people do about it? Wow, Joe, uh, how much time do we have? This is a huge, huge issue. Study after study after study shows the average investors tend to self-destruct. They are too susceptible to the media's influence. The result may be fear one day and greed the next. Investing really should be emotionalist. You should be calm, big picture, long-term. There is a long list of biases that investors have. I'll give you a prime one today that's really quite relevant. Today, most major firms have 10-year forecasts, and those forecasts would show U.S. stocks won't earn as much as international, and U.S. bonds will only earn a slightly less than U.S. stocks, and that's with a lot less downside. Within U.S. stocks, most firms don't publish these forecasts, but the few that do, they give a lot of detail, they break it between large and small and growth and value. The numbers right now show that the large U.S., which is dominated by those seven stocks we all know about, and they're all pretty much in the same sector, you know, technology, uh, the actual forecast is quite low. Vanguard, research affiliates, less than inflation for Vanguard. So it's really quite low. And because of the high valuations, the downside risk is probably quite high. Despite these forecasts, most investors, the S&P 500 is their largest equity allocation. It's kind of an illogical conclusion. Unless, of course, you agree with Robert Frost. His quote is, only, there's only two kinds of forecasters. Those that don't know and those that don't know, they don't know. So maybe you conveniently don't believe in forecasts. Maybe you do. I'm kind of a math guy, so I like long-term forecasts. There is a bonanza of biases to support keeping a heavy S&P 500 allocation. Home country bias. People like to invest in what they know. Benchmark bias. Every day, all the articles in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times are about the S&P, the S&P, and the S&P. It's like the rest of the world doesn't exist. Recency bias. U.S., large U.S. tech in particular has really outperformed since 2008. And then, of course, there's, there's the old confirmation bias that supports all the other biases. People read articles to support their preconceived notions and dismiss all the other articles that do not, kind of like politics or something. The key is to find objective sources of information and draw prudent conclusions. And of course, be patient, perhaps very patient. Shifting to more attractive asset classes, in my mind, is not market timing, you know, the huge sin. In my opinion, if it's done because it fits in with your five steps, it's risk management. It's just smart. Self-awareness then is key. Try to be like Spock on Star Trek. Act like he did. Be cool, analytical, devoid of emotion. Here's a quote from one of my former students. You're not truly diversified unless you own something you hate. I thought that was quite good. But Joe, I'll talk about uh, workshops later, but if you want to go deeper, I got a workshop on this topic and, and I find it fascinating. And we'll have a link to the workshops and other resources website on in the show notes for people to, to access. And so 
we talked earlier about outsourcing and, and many people, including the number of people listening, manage their own finances. They do it themselves. But what are the benefits of hiring a financial advisor? Well, I've taught my students, I've my clients for many, many years. I've got the three C's, concern, calm, and conviction. So the question, if you can do it yourself, is can you be calm? Can you show conviction in your beliefs? And if not, you can advisor be calm and show conviction. Plus, the advisor has to have genuine concern for you to test your calmness, to test your risk tolerance. How did you navigate 2022? Not a good year. How did you navigate March of 2020 when COVID hit? You go back to 2008, Lehman, all those things. How did you navigate that? If you've been around a few years like myself, how about the internet bubble when it burst in 2000? You know, it, it's funny, we've had over history, we've had some big things happen. First, we had fire, then we had electricity, then the internet. AI may be in that same realm. That doesn't mean that, that even though it's as impactful as it is and will be, it doesn't mean it's a good investment. You know, it's only a good investment if you, you buy something for less than what you sell it for later. If it's overpriced today, not so much. In any case, back to the advisor or not, if you tend to procrastinate, self-destruct, can't get past your biases, an advisor is probably worth paying for. If they charge 1%, that adds up over time. Well, your returns net of that cost exceed the 1%. Often, if they're doing financial planning and being tax smart, that can be pretty valuable. But you have to make sure that's genuinely part of their service model. Trust is everything. We all have conflicts of interest. Do they put them out on the table and do they rise above them? Like most everything else in life, in my mind, it's a balancing act between time, money, and happiness. This decision. What is your time worth to do what an advisor would do? Do you have those skills? Money. Are they a good investment? Net of their fees. Happiness. Do you enjoy do-it-yourself? Or do you prefer to delegate to others? I think many retirees, from my experience, check their portfolio every day while listening to talking heads. Is that enjoyable? Is it stressful? I guess that's up to you. Again, watch those neurochemical reactions. If your portfolio is well-structured, why look so often? Maybe to the starfish or go for a walk and talk with your neighbor instead of turning on Kramer. My mantra is tune out the daily noise. Try to tune in any real new paradigms. And so what should people look for in a financial advisor? First and foremost, ideally you find them. Now, those free dinner pitches may not be truly free. And, and don't underestimate the ability of a salesperson to sell. I would probably skip the commission-based advisors as the conflicts are just too great. And by the way, the term fee-based means they can accept commissions sometimes. What you probably want is somebody who's fee-only, who never accepts commissions. The fee structure really should align their interests with you and your needs. If you want to go the fee-only route, and that's what I encourage, they might be hourly, they might be project-based. You pay them to do a review of your portfolio, your financial plan, and then you're off on your own. It might be an ongoing subscription. The most common way is usually 1% of assets under management. Credentials and experience matter, of course. You really should understand what their business plan is and whether they have the resources for you to win, too. Hopefully, the person's an educator as opposed to a salesperson. 
they will ask you about your portfolio and your retirement plans. Why not ask about theirs? Are they going to be around for you? What do they truly believe? Let's see what's in their, in their portfolio. Who is on your team? How often will you meet? How many clients do they serve? Are you likely to be an A, B, or C client to them? Most importantly, I think there's a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, we have the advisors that are, this is their vocation. On the other end of the spectrum is bottom line business. Ideally, you find the folks who are on the vocation end of the spectrum. These are the people whose attitude is, life is good. I'm getting paid to help other people. Others on the business end, it might be, how do I maximize the bottom line and then ultimately monetize the business when I sell it? So I don't know. It's tough to distinguish one from the other, but you want the vocation people. Joe mentioned workshops. I've been running some of these things for years. I think the the Council of Aging groups, I think those groups are particularly vulnerable. Community ed programs. You need somebody to give candid appraisals and and links to the right organizations. And if you're going to do it yourself, what are the best resources? If you are a do-it-yourselfer, I think it's a good idea to get someone to look over your shoulder to make sure all the financial pieces in your life actually fit together. For others, the ongoing 1% AUM model is fine. Someone else does the trading, someone else does the planning projections, someone else does the reporting. So it's, it's whatever you want. Note that the advisor probably won't be trained or have a full-time dedication towards serious counseling in areas like retirement. You need guys like Joe. If you want to win that game, Joe's book is perfectly on point. He didn't put me up to this. I agree with Joe. For my observation, people who lose the retirement game haven't thought through their calendar as much as their budget. They often lack purpose. They're not socially connected. They have not balanced their lives. They're not in control. I love Joe's nine forces trying to take the joys right on point. Thanks. I appreciate all of that. And one last question, if you could. You mentioned the balancing act, time, money, and happiness. Tell us about the matrix mindset and the brief exercise people can do that really may help them prepare well for the year ahead. Yes, Joe, uh, I love this stuff. This may be the new habit for you. It probably encompasses all the other habits you might be considering. And it's actually quite easy. Yes, life is a constant balancing act between finite resources, time and money, and our infinite desire to be happy. Many do this juggling act without a lot of thought. When you're at the cusp of retirement, it's absolutely crucial to be thoughtful and intentional at this major fork in the road. You really need to narrow down the endless options to what may actually work for you. Again, the financial advisors, they, they solve for financial goals, when the true goal is always to maximize family happiness. So again, you, you probably need to uh, go a little more deeper and understand time management and what actually makes you happy. There are tons of books, articles, TED Talks, on daily happiness, many, many resources on finding purpose for life satisfaction. The books, a lot of these resources are mostly other people's stories. And the real question is, what about the unique you? So this new habit is a shortcut to your happiness. I want you to adopt a matrix mindset when you make decisions. What am I talking about? Do people have a pen and paper handy or at least draw a mental picture of of something I call the joy matrix. It's simple. Picture two columns, and below the two columns are six squares. The top left column is things you must do. The column on the right is 
your choice items. The boxes below, the top two boxes are smiley faces, things that make you happy. The bottom two boxes are, are frown, things that make you unhappy. Uh, in the middle are things that are expressionless. They're neutral. So does everyone have that picture in their minds? So the point is, everything you do, every dollar you spend, every minute of your day, every person in your life fits into one of these six boxes. Everything is either must do or your choice. Everything makes you happy or doesn't. Obviously, the more you can shift upwards to the smiley faces, the happier you will be. I'll give you a couple examples. You got to walk Fido every morning. It's must do. But where does it land in the first column? Lousy rainy day, whatever. Maybe it's at the bottom. Then again, maybe you stop and play. Fido's tail wags. And you may feel a little uh, neurochemical called oxytocin. It gives you a positive high. So it might be an upper left box, smiley face. Nothing good on TV. Too many commercials, but you watch anyway. That's on the right-hand optional second column. And it's probably lower right. First column, who are the required people in your life? Co-workers, immediate family. Where are they? Smiley faces. Not so much. Gets a little tricky. And sometimes they're in one, one square and sometimes they're, they're in another. The second column, your choice people, your friends, your neighbors. Hopefully enjoy their company or their upper right. Money. Some expenses like housing are first column. They're must do. They're required. Others like leisure and travel are your choice. I hope you're enjoying your discretionary costs. Stop and think. Remember, it's all about maximizing your HPD, happiness per dollar, and of course, HPH, happiness per hour. Again, be very self-aware of what actually makes you happy, what feelings you get when you do whatever or be with whoever. Here's a major issue for you. When you retire, 40, 50, 60 hours per week will suddenly shift from one column to the other. Your work is no longer required. Now you have a tremendous amount of optional time. It sounds wonderful. So it's largely a shift from time management to choice management. When I bring up the issue with pre-retirees, here's the, the response I most often get. I'm not worried about too much time. I'll just play more golf, do more gardening. I'll exercise more, travel, family, friends. That can work for some people. It works for a lot of people, but a lot of people it doesn't. Their identity is lost. Sometimes there's no purpose. There's no good reason to get up in the morning. Uh, a good friend of mine, a few years back, uh, didn't listen a whole lot. Guy who really successfully climbed the corporate ladder. He had dozens, maybe even 100 people working under him. He wasn't worried about being time rich. Didn't take long before he, even though he got down to single ditches of golf, did a handicap, got bored with golf. I think he was driving his spouse a little crazy. Her social network was already established. His wasn't. Grandkids are usually pretty nice, but they don't listen to him. He's cleaning and reorganized his garage several times. In short, he hasn't been happy. So he's still getting acclimated. It, it, it's a struggle. So I don't want that to be you. In the meantime, adopt the matrix mindset. The rest of today, not tomorrow, today. Stop and think, is this something I have to do? Does it make me happy? Have a picture of the six boxes in your mind. Where does it fit? This whole thing today was all about self-awareness. It is the first step and then strategy. Uh, right now, think about what you're actually doing right after the podcast. Is it a must-do? Is it your choice? Are you looking forward to it or not? 
So maybe start to have it right now. Joe, do we have time for one more starfish? What do you think, buddy? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Go for it. All right. So again, nice open stance like a starfish. Hopefully no one's in the room looking at you. Close your eyes, smile, deep breaths. And just do it for a couple of minutes. It doesn't have to be when you first wake up. It can be any time during the day or Joe's got some marvelous rituals. This is all good. So my sincere hope for you guys, as Joe mentioned, I've got workshops in all these areas, you know, do it yourself or not, that portfolio stuff, the joy matrix. So hopefully I'll see or hear from you again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Glenn. There'll be links to a lot of things mentioned in the show notes. And thank you for helping us prepare for a happy new year and wishing you all the best in 2024 and beyond. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, everyone. Time for takeaways. Three actionable ideas following this conversation today from Glenn Frank. Here are my three. What are yours? Number one, rethink time management. I really like Glenn's point of thinking about this in terms of choice management. And as he noted, you've got to manage your budget right, but you also need to manage your calendar right. I also love his quote that uh, was attributed to Carol Burnett, although I've heard it attributed to Oprah and Anne Lamott. Surprised it hasn't been attributed to Mark Twain quite yet. And that's about saying no. No is indeed a complete sentence. So what do you want to start saying no to in the year ahead? That'll free you up to do the things you really want to do. Number two, review your financial picture. He gave a lot of good ideas on the components of a good financial review, but consult the financial professionals that help you. And number three, this is being published the week between Christmas and New Year's. And that makes it a great time to enter the matrix. No, not the movie, the exercise that he talked about. With an eye toward the new year ahead, take a look at this exercise and make a list of the things that you must do and the things that you choose to do. And how would you rate them on the happiness scale from very happy to not so much? You came through those different categories, but take a look at it. Well worth it. And it will set you up to make different choices, better choices in the year ahead and maximize that happiness per hour and happiness per dollar. You'll find links in the show notes to more information about Glenn and some of the different things he talked about in terms of workshops and other resources he provides. So take a look at that. And I appreciate you listening this year to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. If you'd like to take a look, you can go to our website and browse all of our episodes, six seasons, at our website, retirementwisdom.com. And I'll be back in January with new conversations in what will be, amazingly, season seven. Wishing you happy holidays and a very happy 2024.